Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this is Jude Seymour from One Foot Down. Our Supreme Warlord, Josh, is doing something else right now, so I've actually brought in a guest, uh, Greg Lamang from uh, UHND.com, and more importantly, for purposes of USC Week, the untitled uh, Notre Dame USC podcast. Greg, welcome. How are you? Good, man. Happy to be here. Great week. Yeah, yeah. glad to have you back on the show. We had you out over maybe the spring and summertime a little bit, but... Uh, it's always good to, to hear you. You have off today because of some, I think it's Yom Kippur, right? Jewish holiday? Yeah, our district, uh, they they gave us the day off. It's never happened before. Um, they gave us the day off for Yom Kippur, so that was cool. And uh, I hit you guys up. I was like, hey, if, if you're ready for some content, I'm ready to talk about it. Because <laughs> <we laughs> me and Mike are potting again tonight. Um, we're going to do our preview, but I, I just I'm itching to kind of talk about the game, so. That's I'll talk to whoever. That's absolutely great. Um, I don't ha- I have much to atone for, but I guess I can do that later. Um, so let's talk about the game. Uh, first of all, let's start with a little uh, thirty thousand foot view of USC. Uh, what were the expectations coming into this year, and what do you think um, how it's played out so far? Is it in line with what people thought it was going to be, or has it been drastically different? I think it's pretty much in line with what people expected. Um, so people understand, like I live in Southern California. I've lived in LA County my whole life. So um, I'm pretty plugged into what's going on and like the mood of it just by, you know, being here. Um, I think that people were, they were pretty underwhelmed by the fact that they kept Clay Helton in the first place. Um, I think they, you know, when they kept him, the uh, Lynn Swan at the time kind of pitched it as like, a, you know, Notre Dame, they kept Brian Kelly and things turn around for them. So, you know, it, it'll happen for us too. Didn't really quite, you know, they didn't really do it the same. They had the, uh, the offensive coordinator. Uh, they hired Cliff Kingsbury and then he left after like a month to go coach the Cardinals. And then they got Graham Harrell, who's like Cliff Kingsbury light. So <laughs> I think people are, I think people are pretty like skeptical about just going to the air raid in general, um, just because like USC has been such a, like a pro style, like student body left student body, right. Kind of team. Um, my podcast partner, Mike is like, it just seems like gimmicky and a school like USC doesn't have to go gimmicky. Why are they doing that? Um, so I think that they were kind of buoyed by how well the freshman Keaton Slovis played at quarterback against Stanford um, they started, you know, two and O they beat Stanford who people thought were good. Um, I don't think people think that anymore. <laughs> and then they went to BYU and lost and then they went to Washington and lost. So now everyone's kind of like, okay, they're three and two, probably going to lose another Dame. This is kind of what we thought was coming. So what would you say they're if you were to project how the season ends out for them, are we looking at a seven and five type existence or more like a nine and three type existence? Um, I mean, this upcoming game is like a pretty big swing game for them. Like I honestly think it hinges basically on what happens um, this weekend. Like I honestly, there's a good chance that if Notre Dame wins, USC drops to three and three, they'll have lost two in a row. I mean, Clay Helton could lose his job, depending on how it goes. Like, they could literally end his tenure. Um, they still have to go to 
They still have to go to Oregon. They have Cal, who looks kind of frisky. Um, you know, I mean, look, the Pac-12 is like it's a weird conference. So, like, anyone can beat anyone at any given time. There's no, like, terrible, terrible teams. Like, even Oregon State is, like, has, like, a really good offense or something suddenly. So, <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, USC, like, they have, they have the best roster of anyone in that conference. But, you know, it, it's like any given day they could play poorly and they'll get beat. But I think if they were to beat Notre Dame, I think that would really kind of lift them up to say, like, hey, that's the best team on the schedule and we beat them. So, you know, it gives them kind of an edge going into the rest of the season. So if they did beat Notre Dame, I mean, that's the toughest team on their schedule. Why couldn't they just run the table? So. Okay. And just to catch Notre Dame fans up who may have not been paying that close attention, um, USC started, suffered what I would consider to be a catastrophic injury to their quarterback, their starting quarterback, JT Daniels. Can you fill us in a little bit about uh, that situation, the quarterback situation? Right. So they had, they had in the spring and in the fall, they had a, like a, basically a four-quarterback competition. They split reps with four players. The guy, uh, Max Brown, who, who, um, who got fourth, who a lot of SC fans wanted to actually start, he went into the transfer portal. So he's gone. Um, then JT Daniels in the first game um, got sacked. His knee kind of buckled, tore a bunch of ligaments. He's out for the year. Then they brought in a freshman, Keaton Slovis. And then they had um, Matt Fink, who is an upperclassman. I don't know if he's a senior or what, but um, he backs him up. So Slovis, um, he was he got a concussion against Utah. He missed the Washington game, but he's cleared now, so he's going to start against us. And do you have any uh, any thought that the Washington outcome would have been different with Slovis at the helm? Is he that much better than Fink? Um, is he that much better? He, it, I mean, he's better probably in terms of decision making, but it's hard because he, I mean, he threw three interceptions at BYU. And Washington's better than BYU is. So um, it's like it's kind of hard to say. I think the team overall played a little bit better against Washington than they did against BYU. Did, against BYU. Um, but it's like, I don't know, it's kind of hard to say. Like, think through a pretty bad interception um, near the goal line. They were in the red zone a couple of times and got no points. Um, but then, like, that happened with Slovis, too. So. It's kind of hard to say. <laughs> now, you're a huge Irish fan, but you also said that you're kind of, and, uh, and obviously talking with Michael and, and, and living where you live, you kind of have the idea of talking to Trojan fans. Are they at all nervous about Slovis coming back for the Notre Dame game when he's been out with this, these concussion-type symptoms? Uh, no. Okay. They're not, they're not nervous about him coming in to play. I think they're thankful um, just because now you have two healthy quarterbacks, like if nothing else, like, cause if, if, if Slovis was out and it's Fink, there's no other quarterback behind. So it's like, you never want that. Plus I think, I mean, you know, people think he's better, right? Like he played awesome against Stanford. Um, I mean, and say what you want, like Stanford is a, like a quality program. Um, so I think people are happy about that, but you know, I don't think they're like, oh, you know, this gives us any kind of an edge. Like, it's obviously they have a better chance, but. 
is there is there anybody that Slovis reminds you of, whether it be a former Trojan quarterback or a former Irish quarterback that maybe you could compare him to? Um, it's kind of hard because Trojan quarterback. I mean, they've never run this kind of offense, right? Like, I don't remember them like running like kind of kind of an air raid. Um, of like how 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 dynamic of a runner he is, or how he's built, or how his decision making is. Does he remind you of anybody in those in those respects? He he is more like in terms of build and style. He's more like Carson Palmer was. In that, like, he's not mobile. Like, Fink is the the more of the mobile, more mobile of the two. Um, like, I don't – Slovis isn't going to, like, hurt us with his legs or anything. Like, even Daniels, I think, was more mobile than him. Um, so it's like – this isn't a game where Notre Dame has to, like, use a spy or anything like that. Um, so he's pretty stationary. He's just, like – he gets the ball out quick. He, he throws a nice deep ball. And his ball placement is good. Like if he gets time, he'll 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 uh he'll deal he'll deal on Notre Dame if he gets time. Um, yeah. So he gets the ball quick. He knows where the ball needs to go. Um, it's just a matter of pressuring him. You know, don't play man. Please don't play man coverage. At least not a ton, just because that's exactly what they want. So okay. Um, so you bring me my next question, which is. Um, tell me about the, the Trojan offensive line and how you think they might um, deal with uh, not only the interior that the Irish give, but also that more of that exterior pressure. Do you think they'll be able to handle uh, what the Irish are kind of throwing at uh, opponents this year? I would say not. Okay. Uh, like, they've been okay in games. Um, but, you know, they lost They lost the guy, Andrew Voorhees. He's been out for a good amount of time. Um, he was a key figure on the offensive line. Um, frankly, like Notre Dame should be able to handle this group. Like this is, this is the spot where Notre Dame should be winning the game up front on both sides. Just cause they have the five star receivers. They have the five star running backs, but the line isn't where Notre Dame's line is. You know, they don't run it very well. Like even, even with three-man fronts that they see a lot, um, like teams are daring them to run and they can't. I mean, that was the big, that was the big um, complaint from USC fans last week against Washington, where Washington had a bunch of three-man fronts and USC just wouldn't really run the ball. Like they just, they didn't run and dare them to get out of it. And when they did run, it's like, you know, they had a couple big ones, but Washington never had to get out of their, the defense that they wanted to play. So I don't think Notre Dame will do three-man fronts just because that's not really what they do. They can probably stick with four, but if Notre Dame isn't winning that battle, then that brings losing into play. Um, I, I've heard a lot about their, their wide receiver core, and I want to ask you about that. But before we get to that, what's the running back situation? Do they have a guy that can really um, let loose and, and break one free, or are they mostly like ground-and-pound kind of guys? <laughs> Um, they have, they have a guy, Steven Carr. He's a five star. Oh, sure. Um, he had a 60, he had a 60. Yeah. He had a 60 yard run against uh, Washington. Um, so he's, he's elusive in the open field. Um, like he's like Theo Riddick, ex- if Theo Riddick was a little bit more explosive. Um, luckily they don't use him like Theo Riddick. So it, you know, but he has that kind of skill set. Um, they have a guy, Vave Malapai. <sighs> Who is, who is he like? He's, 
He's um, he's not like super like big hitter, but he's quick enough to where it's like you can see him ripping off like fourteen to fifteen yard runs. I've never seen him have like a huge run, but I mean he can do damage. And then they have Marquis Step, who ah. was a previous Notre Dame commit. Yeah, and he's like a bulldozer. Um, he's a guy that if Notre Dame sees him a lot, it's probably bad news because they'll only use him if, I mean, they'll use him in short yardage and that's fine. But if they see him a lot, it's like goal to go. Well, not just goal to go, but if, um, if the SC feels like they're kind of in control, like he's the, put him in the game, you're in control. You're trying to like salt the the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is a this is a homecoming of sorts first step, right? Because he's a if I recall correctly, he's an Indianapolis guy, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. And you, as you mentioned before, he was committed to Notre Dame. Um, there was something that was never reported formally that caused him to decommit from Notre Dame, and then I, I think that he, at one point he was looking at Purdue, and then I think I don't know if it was a surprise, but USC picked him up, and then it was like, okay, we're going to see this guy for the next four years. So um, I'll be interested to see. Uh, how that turns out for him this this uh, time. So let me transition over to wide receivers because this is where a lot of uh, time, uh, a lot of people who follow recruiting will probably remember a lot of these names. Uh, we start with uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, Equinemius' little brother, uh, certainly a, a stud of his own, right? Uh, certainly not uh, off the cape of his brother. And then um, Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughns, right, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So mm-hmm. tell me about about these three dudes, are they gonna are they gonna be causing nightmares for uh, the Notre Dame secondary, or what are you thinking? Uh, they will. Okay, <laughs> they are good. Um, Pittman and Vaughn's are kind of like. Um, I mean, they have like two Chase Claypools, and and then Amon Ra is like uh, like twenty thirteen TJ Jones. Oh wow! Okay. Um, they're good. I mean, there's, there's no getting around it. They're really yeah. good. I mean, yeah. it's like, you, you know, you're talking about like, you can put them up there with whatever Clemson has, with whatever uh, Alabama has. I mean, pick, pick your best receivers, receiving cores in the nation, and they're right up there. So, um, you know, they, they, they like to throw them jump balls. We saw it last year. Um, they did that with Pittman a lot. Uh, Vaughn's got, got Troy pride at the end, um, with like on a play that kind of is uncoverable, um, for, especially for someone like pride, who's not that big. Um, you know, don't let them beat you deep. <laughs> That's basically it. Like, just don't make, make them do a lot of work to score. And, you know, the more the SC's offense is on the field, the more likely they are to make mistakes. Um, that's it. I mean, they're a bad matchup. Um, but the way I look at it, like they're a bad matchup for BYU too and Washington. So lesser teams, lesser teams have figured it out. So Notre Dame needs to figure it out. Okay. I mean, do you get the sense that they'll pick on Tariq Bracey all, all, all evening and try to, and try to basically exploit his inexperience and, and see what they can do, what kind of damage they can do that way? Yes. If Notre Dame gives them the opportunity to pick on someone, then they will. Yeah, because there's no there's no good matchup. Like if Notre Dame wants to play a bunch of man like Utah played a bunch of man and 
I, you know, I'm watching the game. I'm tweeting like, this is crazy. Like they're just, they're playing man coverage press and they're just letting this kid just chuck the ball up and USC's receivers are making plays. It's like, look, you know, that's the one area where they have a huge advantage over everybody. So if Notre Dame gives them the opportunity to, to take advantage of a matchup like against Tariq Bracey, I mean, even pride, you know, we saw it last year, like, Pride, pride can struggle against really tall receivers, and that's what they have. So, <laughs> like, don't give them that. Like, I would say for Notre Dame, play a lot of zone. Um, I would, I would play too deep. I would play Kyle Hamilton um, to the to the basically whatever side St. Brown is on. I would put him to that side, whether it's he's with Vons or Pittman, and then I would put someone over the top of everything. That's what I would do. Like, don't let them pick on a matchup. Yeah, I mean, I guess my concern is that uh, secondary depth is is really t- uh, taking a hurting here for the Irish, and it comes at an inopportune time. I am a little buoyed by your comments that said, you know, look, they had this advantage against uh, BYU, and they still uh, BYU still took care of them. So I, I get I get all that. I'm just, I guess I'm if I, there's one thing I'm nervous about, it's. Uh, Slovis getting the ball out quickly, so preventing the defensive ends from really getting the pressure that they need to get. And, you know, uh, Amon Ross, St. Brown, or Michael Pittman running away from some sort of mismatch, whether it's across the middle or, you know, uh, Bracey fell down or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. And, and you know, this that's what we saw last year. But think about last year's game, right? So, it went perfectly for USC because USC needs two things. They need to, to control the ball like that, like you said, like get the ball out quickly. Don't let the pass rush get there, right? And basically keep the ball away from Notre Dame and basically be just execute really well. Like JT Daniels was like 14 to 15 at one point or something. So you need that. That went right. It also went right that uh, Ian Book was struggling, and they weren't putting points on the board either. So, you know, look, if Notre Dame plays bad and USC plays good, what, like we saw last year, I mean, what was the end result? Notre Dame still won. Like the game went exactly the way USC wanted, and Notre Dame's up 24 to 10 with like two minutes left in the fourth quarter. So, you know, and that is a situation where – it's the end of the season. You know, USC had kind of put in like new offensive concepts that Notre Dame hadn't seen yet. Um, they were tired. They had the pressure of the playoffs, you know, tired legs, all that stuff, all that stuff. Like Drew Tranquil is on like a one ankle because the <laughs> other one is all banged up. Like there's a lot of intangible things going against Notre Dame in that game. And they sure. still won. Yeah. Now all the intangibles are on Notre Dame's side. So it's like, yeah, like, like a lot of people I think are looking at the wide receivers and they look at the talent and it's like, well, USC has a puncher's chance. Well, it's like, yeah, they do. They do, you know, but it's like Virginia had a puncher's chance too. like Virginia has the same, had the same game plan, right? They wanted, they needed everything to go just right. And it did for a half and they were up by three 
and then things started to go wrong, and then Notre Dame blew them off the field. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to flip sides of the ball here. The big news this week in the release of the depth chart was that Jafar Armstrong is returning uh, back to the running back position for Notre Dame. He got hurt in the first game against Louisville, as, as probably people who listen to this podcast know. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts about how much you think that he'll be incorporated into the offense and what what is you know what is a, a max day for Armstrong. Do you expect to see him the entire game? Uh, 20 snaps, uh, half a game. Like what, what's your expectation here for Armstrong? It's kind of hard to say. Like, it's a really good question because Armstrong just like the, the idea of him is so just tantalizing just because, you know, Notre Dame can put out, you know, Claypool, like they love the two tight end sets now with, with Komet and Tremble. Well, they can do that. And, they can put those guys out there. You can put out Claypool and then one of Fink or Young or whoever, McKinley, if you want. And then they could put Armstrong back there. Well, they can run power with that. They can run hurry up with that. I mean, they could literally go five wide with that group. Or they could run double tight and run like power football. I mean, it's a tremendous advantage. Um, but the difference between Armstrong and like Komet or Young, who came off of upper body injuries, like Armstrong has a core injury. So is he like working out? Like how much, where is his conditioning? Is he ready to even play? Like it's hard for him to keep up his conditioning if he can't, you know, it's not like he, he can't even swim, right? Like he can't even get in the pool because it's a core injury. Like it's, right. right. you can't do anything. So I don't know, you know, his level of fitness. That's the only question. So I just like Tyler James from the South Bend Tribune put out a, a little over under thing on, you know, touches. And he said it at 15 and I said under just because, I mean, that's a lot of work. <laughs> that's a lot of touches in a game for a guy. Right. Yeah. Right. So coming back from an injury. And in fact, uh, when he came back last year, his touches had greatly d- diminished. I mean, they used him, um, if I recall correctly, they used him very, very much in the Navy game, but then. He was basically a ghost for USC and Clemson. Right. So, um, 15 is a lot. Yeah, 15. I would, I would take the under on that, I think, too. That's a, right. that's a good call. Um, is there anybody on the defensive line of USC that we should be particularly keeping an eye on, a matchup that might be one that you're going to kind of keep your eye on in terms of a Notre Dame offensive lineman versus a, uh, a USC interior or exterior lineman? Um, not a particular player. They have a freshman – I think his name is Drake Jackson. They have a couple of Jacksons who I get confused, but they have a freshman defensive end. Um, I think his name is Drake Jackson. He's number 99. That's okay. definitely true. Um, he's like their freshman Kyle Hamilton. He's really good. Ah, okay. um, he's going to be a problem for the next couple of seasons. Um, he's a good player when he's in there. He creates problems. You know, I they have Christian Rector still. Like he's actually never really scared me. Um, they have a couple of good interior interior guys who are more like against the run, like run stoppers. I mean, I guess the way I see it is Notre Dame handled Georgia, and Notre Dame handled Virginia, who in Virginia brings a lot of like elaborate kind of stuff. Um, 
and Notre Dame handled that really well. So if they can handle that, they should be able to handle USC. Again, it's like it's like you're just worried about if someone has a bad game, right? Like maybe Eichenberg has a bad game or Hainsey or somebody. Um, it's like we all know those could happen, but you don't really predict it just because if you perform against the better teams, you should against a team like this. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, this game shouldn't be too big for any of those guys that are on the field. I mean, they've certainly played in, in games and, and atmospheres that are more charged than this. And I, I mean, I, I don't know in terms of, you know, what USC's fan presence going to be there at the game or whatever. I can't imagine it's going to be a ton. Um, you know, it is Columbus Day weekend, so maybe that gives some people extra time or whatever. But um, I, I just can't imagine that you know, it'll be a nerve wracking experience, like anywhere close to what Georgia was. So the, uh, (laughs) the, the scuttlebutt. So I listened to, you know, a couple of USC pods just to keep up like for our podcast. Um, the, the, the talk there is that the fan presence has been down like across the board. So like usually is that a reflection of their disappointment that Helton's still the coach that, that feel like the program's heading in the wrong direction, all of the above. Yes. 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 <laughs> Apathy. Just like the, I think they're just kind of down, you know, like yeah. for them. Yeah. Like for them, they, they don't like for their fan base. They're just, they feel like everything is kind of the same. Like they're just not impressed with anything that they're hearing. They're not impressed with Helton. Um, frankly, neither am I, but <laughs> You know, it's just like that's they feel like I guess they feel like Notre Dame did at the end of Weiss, probably. Um, I don't think we ever got to this point with Kelly just because 2016 happened and it was the one year and then 2017 started so well that um, like fans were I mean, you know, they were there four and one, five and one, and then they beat USC by 35. They got pretty, people pretty jazzed up. So, right. Right. Yeah. Okay. And we talked about potential mismatches or things that keep us awake at night in terms of the USC wide receivers, but uh, Notre Dame doesn't have a shabby group of wide receivers. And I'm just wondering about the USC defensive uh, secondary. Is there uh, a matchup that's bad for them? I mean, Claypool seems to be a matchup that's bad for everybody, but um it, do you find like this could be a big game for a tight end or a wide receiver or somebody coming out of the backfield catching passes um i mean yeah you hit it like claypool is kind of matchup proof um they don't have a guy like the iman marshall from last year who kind of locked up um uh, boykin it was really physical <sighs> um they got so that they're getting a, a starting corner elijah griffin back um, he's probably their best corner. And then they're getting Tal, um, the safety Talanoa Hufunga back, number 15. He didn't play against Notre Dame last year. He might be the best player. I mean, he's definitely the best player on their defense. Um, and you could honestly, you could put him up against the receivers. He's a really good player. Um, so he'll probably be with um, matched up with Komet quite a bit. If he's not blitzing, they like to put him. He's kind of like their Alohi Gilman. Um, although he's a, like probably a little bit better athlete. So they'll put, they'll put him on commit. They'll put him on, um, you know, they'll put, you know, they'll send him on blitzes and that sort of thing. So he'll be really active. That's a, that's a big one for them. 
Um, this is a game where, like, man, you really wish Chris Fink was playing better <laughs> or, like, Michael Young or something just because, you know, like, Claypool is going to get his, and that's fine, and I think Komet will as well. But, like, they don't have those, that like, the second and third corners. Like, Fink should really be able to do well against them. Um, same with Michael Young. So, I... I mean, I'd like to count on them, you know, to believe it can happen. I mean, even Lawrence Keyes, like, I, you know, I wish he was healthier as well just because you'd have that confidence because I really think that they could do well against their, you know, their nickel guy or their second or third corner. Um, but, I mean, I, I kind of trust that Chip Long at least has a plan for it. Yeah. So. You just brought up Lawrence Keyes, and I, I actually forgot to look. He wasn't listed in the depth chart, I'm guessing. Is he still out with an injury? No, I think he's okay. Okay. I think he's going to play. It's just, I mean, we haven't really seen him. You know, he didn't really play against Virginia, um, and we didn't see him at all against Bowling Green. So um, it's just like you kind of want to, you just kind of want to see it, you know, because he's got, I think him and Fink and Young have good matchups. And then Tremble's kind of a wild card, right? Like, how is Notre Dame going to use him? So, yeah. How about um, is there anything to be worth remarking on in terms of special teams? Do they have a, a punter who can boom it? Do they have a kicker who never misses? Do they have return guys that are that are can break it at any time? Like, what's their situation there? The kicker, Chase McGrath, is good. He hurt his uh, he tore his ACL trying to tackle someone last year. Um, I think it was. Yeah, he tore his ACL last year, so he missed the. He missed our game. He's a good kicker. He's solid. He, I mean, he's good from like, you know, 50 to 52, something like that. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, the punter was like this huge sensation. He, he was, he's Australian. Ben oh, Griffin, I think his name, or Griffiths. That's the trend now to get these Aussie punters, right? Yeah. So he came he in and I guess, too? I guess in the sprint, what's that? Does he have tats too? Like they're usually all tatted up. I don't know if he has tats, but he's like 30. Oh, okay, yeah. He's old. Yeah, so I say old. He <laughs> <laughs> It's all relative now, right? <laughs> relative, yeah. Um he so he in the spring, he was just crushing punts. I mean, this was like he was a sensation. People couldn't stop talking about him. And then the football season came and he's just kind of whatever. So he's not bad, but he's not anything special. Like I think Bramlett is probably better than him right now so okay uh, yeah so that's you know that's fine right he's not awful but um and then they have Velas jones at kick returner who i really i really would like it i really would like it if they kicked it out of the end zone all the time (laughs) that would be great because he is very fast and hunter dame's you know coverage team has been good but He's very fast. I don't like it when he has the ball. Greg, you just reminded me. I wrote myself a note, uh, a Twitter note, to not kick the ball to Vilas Jones because I was really impressed. Must, I might have been watching the Utah game, and he was he was lighting lighting it up then too. So. He might have won them the the Fresno State game. Oh, where, Fresno, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. So they were struggling, and Fresno State was coming on them, and then he returned a kickoff for a touchdown, and I, you know, that was basically the difference in the game so yeah um yeah i don't i don't like it when he has the ball 
what do you think would be different about this game if we played it uh, at the end of the year, if this was the USC uh, away game, uh, if we were playing this at the end of the year instead of in October? I feel like this is a much better time to get USC because they're a little bit discombobulated. Would that be fair? Uh, yes, it would be fair. I mean, it's hard to say. Like, so here's the thing, right? Last year, they were, they were discombobulated the same way. Um, they, they had a bad season. You know, they were five and six. Um, you know, like they had no reason to play well, and they did. I think if you look at all of USC's best games, they are all at home. You put them on the road against BYU. You put them on the road against Washington. They're just a completely different team. Um, and even besides USC, like let's just take USC out of the equation. Notre Dame, since I mean, you can go back a long way. Like they don't they don't lay eggs at home in games that are that they're paying attention for. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the let's just look at 2017, right? You have the big game is Georgia. Right, obviously they played up for that game. Yep. You had home against USC. Yeah. They won by thirty-five. Home against NC State, they won by twenty-one. Yep. Um, you look at twenty eighteen, Michigan, Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can throw Florida State in there, I guess, just because of Wimbush and all that stuff. But yeah. when Notre Dame is focused and paying attention, mm-hmm. they play well at home. And kind of Regardless of whether, regardless of whether USC, you know, it's better to get them now. Like for Notre Dame, this is the best time and situation for them, mm-hmm. and that should be the kind of the focus, right? Because Notre Dame's better; they are. So, yeah, it's like if if we're bringing our A game, then it kind of doesn't matter what USC is doing. That makes sense. Um, Oddsmakers, last I checked, had Notre Dame is 11-point favorite over USC. It may have changed since then. Uh, how do you feel about 11 points? Does that sound right to you? Uh, does that sound a little high, a little low? Where does that, what is that? How do you feel about this game? It sounds about right to me. I mean, like, two touchdowns, like, fully sounds kind of, I don't know about that. Um, but, you know, it's just like I said, like, everything that I just told you, um, like Notre Dame plays well in this sort of situation. I could totally see 38 to 20, something like that. And there's a, there's a podcast um, that I listen to, Reign of Troy, and um, one of the hosts there, Alicia D'Artola, she, she has this whole thing about USC and scoring three touchdowns. So basically she's like, USC is good for three touchdowns and nothing more in these games. <laughs> and... And if you look back, like it's true, like the three touchdown theory, if they get more then they're probably like, they're playing better, but usually they settle around three touchdowns and, or less. And I think that's right for this game. Like I think USC is good for, you know, three touchdowns or two touchdowns and two field goals or something like that. And I think that Notre Dame will be just, you know, better than that. You know, they're going to get, you know, those, those guys are too talented on offense to completely shut them down. But just over the course of a whole game, you know, Notre Dame should just take care of it. Now, you, uh, you work outside the house. I imagine you interact with a couple of Trojan fans where you work. Um, do you keep a low profile during this week or are you talking as much shit as you possibly can? 
I mean, I work at an elementary school, so yeah. But there's teachers, right? There's teachers, but I, I mean, there's not a lot of male teachers. There's one who, um, she, her husband is a big uh, USC guy, and so we kind of talk about it. But I guess her son-in-law is is like a big Notre Dame guy, and she actually showed me a video of her grandson with like this Notre Dame koozie that plays the fight song. So <laughs> like, I don't, there, there's a, there's a dad who has twin boys and he went to Michigan Ooh. and he's the one I kind of get on about stuff. I mean, it's like really good natured. He's yeah. there all the time. They do like parent volunteering and stuff. And I always, I give him a hard time about it. Um, but no one else really. I mean, it's like, it doesn't really show up. I mean, it's just Mike. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have a ton of interaction that way. Yeah. What about, um, where are you going to be watching the game? I think where you watch the game is always fascinating to me because sometimes your wife drags you out to these parties with friends and then you have to watch <laughs> Notre Dame games that end up being weird. <laughs> like where are you watching so, this week? I didn't tell, I didn't really tell the story of the Georgia game. Yeah. Please but I was. Well, I was at the, uh, I was at a, a work, an Amy work function and I was, I had to watch the kids. Like one of them was in the pool and luckily where we were, they had a TV outside and I, I held it together <laughs> pretty good where it all fell apart was when, so we went from the, uh, we went, we went from the party to her or, um, her parents' house. And I was like, it's fine, right? Like, it's not that far of a drive. It's like 20 minutes, and I'll listen on the radio. Well, for some reason, the station that I had found, like, wasn't showing the game, and I couldn't find it. And, and I, I was, like, panicked. I was like, I can't find it now, and I'm driving, and Amy doesn't want me to, like, be thinking about the game and trying <laughs> to find it. And, the, and my son in the back is, like, wanting to talk to me. And she's like, Greg, he's talking to you. I was like, I don't care. Like, tell him to be quiet. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like 10 to 10 in the third quarter. It's not important. Just tell him to stop. And she's like, well, no, I already told him. Just say, I can't. I was like, I'm not listening. So then, so then I finally found it on my phone and then we played it or whatever. And this is when they were doing bad. So during the game too, right? It started going sideways while you were in the car. Like Georgia was doing a lot better. Yeah, yeah. So, so that we were not helping, we got right? in the car. Yeah, we got in the. I mean, it was the third quarter, and everything was bad in the third quarter. So, yeah. Um, yeah so that I almost got in like a lot of trouble actually. Um, so this week, my daughter has a game at as a soccer game at three. Okay. So we'll get there. And uh, we'll do that. The game will be over. We'll come home. We'll probably just watch it at our house. Um, will you have to watch it on some sort of delay? Probably not. Okay. Probably not. Like maybe – like if it is a delay, it will be like for five minutes and then I'll catch up at the first yeah. commercial or something. Perfect. So one of the things – Greg's on Twitter at, at Greg2126 and, I, and I, he's one of my favorite follows. Uh, but one of the things that was – hilariously on brand is you were maybe not the first person on the Kyle Hamilton hype train, but you were definitely like trying to elbow the conductor to get like, you know, to get the whistle to blow or whatever. 
And so when Kyle Hamilton had his first interception, it was a pick six for a touchdown against New Mexico. I think you're probably your notifications lit up pretty hard and you weren't even watching the game, right? It was on fire. So I, I, um, I was this, so this game took place like during, like right in the middle of the soccer game. And so I was like, I'm going to wait. So I got home probably around halftime of the game and I started watching and I put on the Twitter. Um, I, I don't, why did I do that? But anyway, so I put on the Twitter and I looked and I saw 20 notifications and I was like, this is only one thing, right? I haven't texted about the game. So I sent out a tweet like here, Kyle Hamilton must have done something. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, man, this kid, and I'll, and I'll just, I'll, I'll clue everybody in. I sent you a, a direct message on Twitter. I think Kyle Hamilton is going to like have a national breakout game this week. Sorry. And it's not like a blind prediction. Like I've, I've worked it out in my mind how this is going to be. I think that I, so I think that Clark Lee is going to put him in a deep half. I think that Slovis is unlike the other quarterbacks that they've played who are either kind of a too experienced, right? So Fromm isn't going to take a chance with him because he doesn't need to. Um, New Mexico and Bowling Green. Well, New Mexico, first of all, got burned. So shame on them. And Bowling Green um, didn't have the time for any of that stuff. So, um, and then Virginia, right? Like he, that guy, he was smart at the beginning, but then at the end, it's like he got kind of desperate and he threw an interception to Kyle Hamilton. I think that Slovis is just going to be like, you know what? I'm going to put trust in my guys. I need to throw the ball down the field, even if it may not be the smartest thing. And I think a guy like Kyle Hamilton is just going to feast on that sort of situation. Like your, it's a perfect, perfect situation for him. From your lips to Clark Lee's pet playbook. I, I do I, it. I definitely hope it happens. Do it, Clark. Uh, one, of do thing, it. one of the things, one of the things that got lost in the, um, in the podcast that was taped, but didn't actually air uh, from, from earlier this week was, my uh, just pointing out how much I'm enjoying watching Kyle Hamilton lay wood on uh, unsuspecting uh, receivers. Uh, he hits hard, and I'm really just enjoying that. Um, man, I, I, look, I, and I said it to 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 Moons. I don't know his at GA Moons. I don't know his uh, at Jim. Yeah, Mooney. G, oh, Jim, Jim Mooney. Yeah, yeah. Jim Mooney. <laughs> I, so we were talking in the preseason. I, I you know. I love this kid. I love his game. And, and so he, uh, he was ta- asking, like, who is he like? And I just put a sh- picture of Sean Taylor. And if you don't know me, like, that is the highest praise I can give to anybody because Sean Taylor is, like, my favorite player. Like, when he passed away, I was, like, in literal tears because he was just so good. And Hamilton is like that. He has similar size he has a similar game. Like, he crushes people. Like, why does he hit so hard? You don't even know. Like, I put the, the video of him hitting the tight end for Bowling Green. And, like, the tight end was like everyone else was hitting him, and he was just kind of absorbing it. Kyle came over and hits him, and he, like, spins backwards. And it's like, it's over. And it's like Kyle doesn't even look like he's moving that fast. But, man, just what a talent. Oh. Yeah. 
it reminded me of like clipping a uh, a bowling pin with a with a bowling ball or whatever. Just the force of it, just all of a sudden, yeah. like it it, it 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 maintains its spot for a second and then just it just completely keels over. You know, what a talent! And and last week I was I was checking just my notifications while I was at because my daughter had a soccer game again. I was checking my <laughs> notifications and I didn't get them, and I was like, what? My guy didn't do it in this game, and then you look at why. It's like, well, they didn't try it. So, yeah. All right. Well, I've got to get back to uh, work. It was a pleasure talking to you, Greg. Tell uh, the listeners of One Foot Down Podcast where they can reach you. Uh, I mean, obviously, you've got Twitter, podcast. You write. Um, tell us all about that. Right. So I, I write at uhnd.com. Um, I've got you know I do film reviews. I got stock reports that I have to actually write right now. Um, I do grades after games. Um, I'm at Greg2126 on Twitter. Um, um, well, we, we podcast at Tilting Ground, the Untitled Notre Dame USC football podcast. Um, that comes out usually once a week, but this week we're going we're gonna to pod tonight. Um, do you want to do like predictions? Like do you want to oh, yeah. take a guess at what's going on? Um. Jeez, I did one back in July. I, I felt I feel pretty confident Notre Dame's going to win. Um, I, I like I like the the kind of three touchdown theory. I, I you know that's sort of where my head was at. I was thinking like I don't know is is thirty four twenty four too high? That sounds that's maybe thirty. I don't know if they're going to get to thirty eight. I'll say thirty seven twenty four. Thirty seven twenty four. Right. Perfect. Yeah. All right. I'm going to stick with 38-20. Good. 38-20. I think it'll it'll go down to, similar to Stanford last season. Yeah, it feels like that's exactly what it feels like. It feels like kind of that Stanford type thing. So, all right. Awesome. Greg, thanks so much for your time today. Again, everyone, uh, follow him and you it, download his podcast. That's wherever you can get your podcast, Spotify. I know listen to it there. Uh, Overcast has it, Apple Podcasts, all that uh, stuff. So uh, Michael Muto is his co-host. He's a USC fan. It's, it's a good time. It's a good listen. Uh, gives you, and especially during this week, it's, it's a must listen. It's, it's just a lot of fun. So uh, Greg, thanks again for your time. And we will talk to you uh, again in the future, I'm sure. Yep, go Irish. Go Irish.